Hey guys, so today we're gonna find out the price prediction for Bitcoin end of the year from one of the top stock pickers of all time in the top 1%, Ronnie Moas. And if you like things like cryptocurrency, mixed martial arts and BJJ, click that subscribe button, get alerts, and I'll see you guys every Tuesday and Thursday. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Today our guest is a cryptocurrency expert and also a former top stock picker, according to tip ranks, in the top 1% of over 7,000 different analysts, Ronnie Moas. Ronnie, welcome, and thanks for coming on. I'm doing okay. Uh, do you need me to wear a mask for this interview? <laughs> yeah, just no, just I do need a uh, proof of a I need a vaccine passport. I'm going to need three relatives, your credit score and like uh two different friends to vouch for you though. It's crazy all this shit with covid okay. going on. No no mask <laughs> necessary. I'm all for the vaccine, I'm all for the mask. <laughs> so um I just I just want to dive right in and find out like so you know anyone that looks at standpoint research your company that you started and you go back before that how did you get to be so prolific, top 1% of stocks for over 10 years in terms of your performance rating? How did you get to be so good at what you do, first of all? Well, the, the secret sauce is a 155 variable computer model that took me several years to develop. Uh, I think it was from, two, uh, like from 1998 to 2003, I was working on that. And it allowed me to get, you know, thousands of stocks down to a few good ideas. And uh, because it's value driven, I have to be careful about value traps. So there are fundamental and subjective overlays that I apply once a, a stock comes up on my computer model as being undervalued. And I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I have a sixth sense uh, when it comes to the stock market and uh, I, I just, what I, what I came up with worked. I knew when I was starting out that I was going to be competing with Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and all of these investment banks and research firms that have entire staffs of analysts to draw from. And I, I had to do something out of the ordinary. So there is a contrarian uh, bend uh, in my, um, uh, in my computer model, it's based on valuation and technicals uh, to a certain extent I look at as, an, as a contrarian indicator. So when relative strength is climbing into the 80s and 90s, I'm usually looking to get out. And when it's dropping into the teens and, and 20s, I'm looking to get in. So do you have a background that's more in business and finance or when you say you put together a computer model, was this an algorithm that you created or you outsourced like based on your previous knowledge of speaking stocks? Well, yeah, no, I'm a numbers person. I'm not a computers person. Uh, it took me a few years to decide what variables I was going to put into the model and what weights I was going to assign each of those variables. And once I had all of that information, I gave it to... A, um, a computer programmer uh, at Thomson Reuters, and uh, they they set the, the 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 model up for me. So all of the weights and the variables is from me, but I needed someone to put that into a computer program, so, so that when I, when I run the model, all I have to do is press one button now. So when you uh, initially started that, obviously was that just for yourself, and then you kind of beta tested it, decide to start a business model off of that? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the problem is once I, it took several years to develop the model. And then once I had the model, no one was going to pay me for my ideas. 
because I didn't have a track record, right? right? So for a few years, I had to generate recommendations on a weekly basis. I had some uh, websites on the internet that were tracking my performance. And after three years, I established this track record and then the institutional uh, investors that told me to call them back when when I have uh, a track record that's audited, that's when they took notice of what I was doing. So that um, that algorithm that you created, I think algorithm would be kind of a, a safe word. Would you, would you call it an algorithm because it's kind of you input some data? Uh, and I, it I don't it use out? that word. It's a, it's a 155 variable computer model. That's okay. the way I call it. Yeah. So in this 155 variable computer model, you were entering information for stocks. Was it across the board for things like mutual funds, ETFs, and then, um, or was it solely based on stocks? No, just I wasn't doing ETFs or 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 um, picking uh, fund managers to allocate money to. It was just throwing. Um, stocks through the computer model. One week I would do the S&P 500, then I would do 200 names from the consumer discretionary sector, uh, high paying dividend names, low beta names. Uh, I had a, a queue, I had around 15 or 20 queues that I had programmed. And uh, every other week or so, I would run a different list of names through there. Through there. So you started that in 2008, you had a lot of success, top 1% in picking stocks. How did you get introduced to cryptocurrency? That is a crazy story. Uh, it usually never, is. It's a crazy. It's a crazy like eco space. Like nobody, uh, nobody woke up crazy, and was like crypto. Crypto is this crazy thing, story. right? I remember the date like it was yesterday. It was June twenty seventh, uh, twenty seventeen, and one of my subscribers sent me an email. He had been a subscriber for a couple of years. Never had any communication with him. And he sent me a message and I'm like, wow, uh, if this guy is sending me a message, it must be really important. So I open up the email and he says, buy Ethereum. You're welcome. That was the whole message. The whole message is buy Ethereum. You're welcome. At this point, have you even heard of Ethereum or? No. So I go on Yahoo Finance and I punch in Ethereum. <laughs> like, what stock is this? Up. This guy's crazy. He doesn't know stocks. Ethereum's not a stock. I, I, I said, right. I sent an email back to um, uh, James and uh, I said, there's no stock named Ethereum. What is this? Uh, he says, it's a cryptocurrency. I said, what is that? Like Bitcoin? And he said, yeah. And I didn't even know what Bitcoin was. This is June 2017, the end of June. And uh so I said, I'll take a look at it. So I have a very short attention span. I was doing some research on Ethereum and then it didn't catch my attention. I went straight to Bitcoin. By the end of the weekend, I said to myself, holy shit, this is unbelievable. It's trading at $2,470 and it's worth at least $50,000. How did you come up with that valuation back in 2017? I'll get to that in a minute. And uh, then I had a dilemma because it was up 500% in the first six months of 2017. Mm -hmm. I said, how could I recommend Bitcoin at 2,500 when it was at $500 six months ago? And uh, thank God that I, I had the courage to um, make the recommendation because it went viral all over the world. I had 100,000 people visit my website uh, from more than 100 countries around the world. 
I went from zero to 30,000 followers on Twitter almost overnight. He gave me the idea on the 27th of June, the recommendation hit the news wires a week later. Now, as far as my valuation, how I, come up, how I came up with the $50,000 figure, I basically was looking at what all of the money tied up in cash, stocks, bonds, gold, art, real estate, and collectibles was. And I said, if Bitcoin captures, you know, a small fraction, like less than 1% of what was tied up in the other asset classes, the fair value for this hits a trillion dollars. And if I look out seven to 10 years from where we are right now, you're looking at a $500,000 valuation. And if you go out to 2040, then you're looking at between one and $2 million. There is one bullet point that I repeat in all of my interviews, and it's very important. We are a few years away from getting to the point where there will be one, one quadrillion dollars. That's 1,000 times a trillion. One quadrillion dollars tied up in cash, bonds, stocks, gold, art, collectibles, real estate. I don't even want to get into derivatives and other commodities. One quadrillion dollars, we're a few years away from hitting that point. That comes out to $100,000 for every man, woman, and child in the world. Obviously, it's not evenly distributed. Can we agree that looking out three to five years, Bitcoin will capture 1% of that quadrillion figure I just gave you? Yeah, sure. I think that's a, a healthy conservative estimate. 1%. 1%. Sure. That's $10 trillion. And that puts Bitcoin at a half a million dollars, just like that. So you, you base Bitcoin's value on the total addressable market. 2%, then you're already looking at a $1 million Bitcoin price. That That's interesting because most of the, the price um, points that I've seen for Bitcoin, like the Winklevosses and things, really just use gold as the market cap, but you in the total addressable market cap off of gold. But you're looking at Bitcoin capturing wealth from a various number of, of current stores of value and things of that nature. Yeah, it, it, you know, if you have money, those are the eight asset classes that you can choose from. And why would you put money into the other seven, gold included, when Bitcoin has this unbelievable upside? We are still at the early stages of this game. You have to remember that it's only year 13. That's how long it took for paper checks to get accepted widely. People didn't want to use paper checks when they came out. People were afraid of them. Same thing with credit cards. It took 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. before it went widespread. Right. Every new technology that's, goes through that growing pain stage. Right. And that's where we are right now with Bitcoin. We're at an inflection point. And I think the floodgates are about to open on this. Well, we talk about the floodgates and going back to what you said, when you first were exposed to Bitcoin, it had already had a 600% run up and there was a big, um, I mean, now Bitcoin's become on everyone's radar, especially the institutional investors and things because of how much market cap it has grown and how just the, our return on investment. So talking about being nervous when you were putting your, your, your initial name and stamp of approval on an asset that has already gone up, because usually an asset goes up 600% in a few months, you're waiting for that pullback. It's hard to make a recommendation that this is something you should hop on the train. It's going to continue to go up. Um, 
What do you say to the people that look back and go, yeah, well, I mean, I missed it at 2000. I missed it at 10,000. I missed it at 25,000. It's too, it's, it's not worth it anymore because that's a thing that I think we hear constantly as well. I should have got in back when it was X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, I, I have an answer for that. Well, first of all, that 500% move, you have to understand that I was in the stock market. <laughs> we don't see moves right. like that. Usually yeah. if something bounces 50% off of its bottom, you missed it. And people will criticize you for not giving the name before it moved 50%. Here I am going to my stock subscribers, telling them I found something and it just jumped 500% in the last six months. The answer to your question is, there's nothing that you can do about the fact that you missed the move from 4,000 to 40,000. But you haven't missed the move from 40,000 to 400,000. And that's really all that you need to be looking at. Yes, it would have been nice if you bought this at 4,000 and made 100x on the move to 400,000 that I'm expecting in the next few years. Uh, but if you missed it, it's better to get in late than not to get in at all. Uh, not late, but later than the early adapters did. And uh, like I said, uh, it, it doesn't matter where it came up from, it matters where it's going. And you know, if you missed the move to 40,000, that's water under the bridge. And now you just have to think about what is the downside if you get in at this level and what is the upside? Right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's that's a great way to look at it, right? I mean, if you put $100,000 into crypto, your downside is theoretically zero, but realistically maybe 60% pullback based on a market, 70%. But your upside is 5, 10x from here. It's a, it, There's still a potential for huge upside because like you said, and one of the things that I've always looked at, and I think a lot of people on the institutional side are waiting for, is what's what people think is going to be the, the the golden crown for Bitcoin is, will there be an ETF that gets approved? If so, will that really open the floodgates to drive Bitcoin to that six-figure range, in your opinion? Well, uh, as far as the, the ETF goes, uh, they say that it'll happen in the next few months. But what I like about Bitcoin is that the supply is so tight that we are not dependent on any one headline. It doesn't matter what China does. It doesn't matter what Amazon does. It doesn't matter what the SEC does with, with regards to an ETF. Most of the supply has already been sucked out of the market. We are probably a year or two away from 100 million people coming into this market and trying to get their hands on something that just will not be available for sale. Okay. And in order for those people to get in, they are going to have to push the price of Bitcoin towards $100,000 in order to get their orders filled. So, uh, so you see, you see, the, you see yeah. Bitcoin as a, as a store of value more than a, um, a, or than a transactional currency. Is that accurate? Why on earth would I buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin if I think Bitcoin is going to $400,000? Right. You don't want to spend $80 that on that coffee. cup of coffee in two years. <laughs> that means my cup of coffee is costing me $40. Right. Okay. So, yeah, this is something that you buy and you hold on to. And there was another very important talking point that I tried to inject in each of my interviews. Bitcoin is doing to gold right now what Amazon did to the bookstores. When a disruptive technology comes along, 
it doesn't just capture market share from the incumbent. It wipes out the incumbent and replaces the incumbent. That is what Bitcoin is doing to gold right now. We just printed trillions of dollars in this country on the printing press. And gold is down in the last 12 months. Bitcoin is up 300%. Bitcoin has so many advantages versus gold. And the rest of the world is starting to realize that. You have to understand the sovereign wealth funds, the corporations, the endowments, institutional money managers. It takes them a long time to make a decision with regards to whether they are going into this or not. If they don't vote on it in the Q2 board meeting, then it gets pushed out 90 days. If they don't push vote on it in Q3 meeting, gets pushed out another 90 days. We had an email exchange earlier. I was either communicating with you or your production assistant, and I had a problem hooking up the Zoom cooks. I had some new equipment here. My next door neighbor came over and hooked it up for me. He is the CIO and treasurer at the University of Miami. He, he is closely tied to what the endowment is doing. And he says, we have another meeting this week, the quarterly uh, board meeting. I said, is Bitcoin on the agenda? He says, no, <laughs> we're pushing that out for 90 days. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of big decisions being made in the next three, six, nine, 12 months. Do you think that the and delay in a lot of these big companies, I mean, like obviously Michael Saylor and MicroStrategies have put in, you know, tons of money into crypto and you're starting to see some of the, the companies move some of their balance sheets over to crypto and Bitcoin and a little bit into Ethereum. Do you think a lot of the hesitation with some of the onboarding is due to um, some not clarity around uh, lack of clarity around regulations and also the, the crazy volatility right now that we're seeing? Well, when I when I started working on Wall Street uh, more than 20 years ago, there was a saying among the brokers, nobody ever got fired putting their clients into Microsoft. Okay. If you recommend Microsoft to your investor clients and it goes down, nobody's going to fire you. But if you recommend Bitcoin and that thing goes to zero, you're in a lot of trouble, especially if you were the first one in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these people that are making the big decisions, they are like sheep and they will not go in until they see their, um, competitors doing the same thing. And once everyone is in the same boat, no one has to be worried about getting fired because they made the same mistake that everybody else made. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a, a sheep mentality here. And once you start seeing endowments and sovereign wealth funds and corporations putting out press releases that they are in the way Microsoft, MicroStrategy has and the way El Salvador has done. And by the way, they already have 2 million people hooked up to the app in El Salvador. That's when everyone is going to stampede into this. And um, it'll either be that or it'll be the Bitcoin price running up towards 50, 60, 70,000 again. And then they might have this fear of missing out and jump in, even if they didn't get what they were waiting for with regards to 
adaption from their competitors and a green light from the SEC. You know, one of the things that I've been a Bitcoin advocate since 2017 myself, and one of the things that people always say is, oh, well, you know, it's it's so, you know, they put in 500 bucks, it goes down to 300, they panic, they think they're going to lose their money, they pull out, then they buy back in on the way up and they're, they're day trading. And, and the example, and you touched on it too, you said Amazon, I said, that's the example I always use. I go, look, Amazon was a disruptor in the space and their stock went from 100 bucks down to $5. And then there's two types of people that saw that. They understood fundamentally what Amazon was doing and pivoting and changing, and they bought into it, or they panicked and sold. Amazon lost 95% of its value. And I think that that's just, and correct me from your point of view, if you're going wrong with it, that's the growing pains that a new asset class, which crypto being a new emerging asset class, goes through. It has these. And a, a, a big part of that too is these these crazy 20 and 100x leverage trades that are just getting wiped out when people are playing around with you know billions of dollars in, in um, leveraged money. But those growing pains are one of the reasons I think we see these crazy volatilities. Well, Bitcoin is designed to reward the first people that go in, early adapters. I remember there was an analyst on CNBC once around 15 years ago, and he said Amazon was overvalued when it was trading at $200. And the host at CNBC uh said why do you think amazon is overvalued and he said because they lose money on every book that they sell so you can't look at bitcoin right now you have to look at where it's going to be a few years from now and it is significantly undervalued right now going back to the point we were touching on earlier i remember when bitcoin when amazon ran up from 20 dollars to 200 dollars and people got out. The traders were patting themselves on the back. They multiplied their money 10x. And guess what? They left 15x on the table. You can't day trade Bitcoin. I don't believe there are many people that have made money day trading Bitcoin. When you take into consideration opportunity cost, transaction fees, the time they're spending trading, I really don't believe many people made money day trading Bitcoin. The only way to play this is buy and hold, add on dips. If you did that, you're up 20x in the last four years. Yeah, my, I have a, a similar strategy. I have an 80, 20, 30 rule that, that takes the, that a combined dollar cost averaging. If you, let's just say someone has 100 bucks a week to put in, put 80% in a week, put that other 20% to the side, and then you wait for that 30% dip. That way you get the best of both worlds, in my opinion. I'm not a stock advisor. I'm not an expert. This is just through trial and error and what people have looked at because everything I hear is buy the dips and then what's the best strategy? Dollar cost average. That's been a good way to kind of amortize those costs. But going back to what you were saying, um, you know, like right now, Bitcoin has the same number of users as the internet did, I think in 1997, and we're growing at a more exponential pace. And if you look at things like Metcalf's law, like the value of a network is multiplied by the exponential number of users. I mean, there's so many bullish cases for Bitcoin in terms of institutional growth and being a better store of value. And, and you know, you have these comp- these sovereign wealth funds from other governments, their investment arms that are going to start pouring in. What do you think is going to be the tipping point that finally gets us over that hump? It could happen in the next few weeks, the next few months. It could be it's already happening. I mean, there's been a lot of Bitcoin sucked out of the market since we dropped from 65,000 a few months ago. The weekends got shaken out. The smart people were buying what those people were selling. And once again, the, the small guy got taken to the cleaners. 
This is what happened when the stock market crashed in 1987, 1999, 2008, and it happens every time Bitcoin has a correction. I remember in 1987, there were people jumping out of their windows in New York, committing suicide, because the Dow Jones dropped from 2200 to 1700 in one day. 20% Black Monday, 1987. Yeah, 20% an afternoon for crypto. Committed suicide on the Dow Jones dropping from 2200 to 1700 Remember, if they were on margin, they lost half their money. We're at 36,000. I'm sorry, 33,000 right now. Between 33,000 and 34,000. I think the market took a hit last time I checked this morning. So... Uh, like I said, it's buy and hold, add on dips, day trading, and market timing does not work. It never has, never will. You have to know when to get in, when to get out, when to get back in again, when to get out, when to get back in again. And one day you're going to be on the sidelines and you're going to wake up the next morning and find out that you missed a $15,000 move. So buy and, buy and hold, keep it long term. Exactly. And long-term for crypto is is different than stocks. People think of long-term for stocks in like 10-year gaps, several-year gaps. Crypto, people look at their portfolio and they're like, it's been three months. Why haven't I made 6X yet? Like Long-term for crypto is only a year or two. You got to just hold on to it. And you're going to see these gains in you know, the market cycles and the halving again coming up in 2024, having an impact on the um, amount of Bitcoin that's out there. But like you said, I mean, a lot of times with these dips, what we're seeing, I think, is a lot of the Michael Saylors of the world and and these big companies they're buying up a lot of these dips and they're locking that bitcoin down they're not going to trade they're not day trading with this bitcoin they're not trying to make a couple thousand dollars they're using that for their balance books to to offset their yeah i don't really spend much time following people on twitter uh, but i know michael saylor made a comment recently and i agree 100 percent with what he said He's, it was on a day when, when uh, I think it was a week ago, when, when Bitcoin got hit hard on the China headline. He says, if you're not willing to hold on to Bitcoin for 10 years, you should not be in it for 10 minutes. Mm. Smart. Uh, now, I don't think it's going to take 10 years for you to make a killing on Bitcoin. We're probably looking at three to five years. Uh, that's my time frame for this to go to a quarter of a million dollars. And if you can hold on for 10 or 20 years, then we already got the, the seven figure price target comes into play. Uh, if everything goes the way I expect that it will. When you say three to five years, are you taking into account things like the uh, the next halving in 2024? Or is that just based on market adoption? Or how are you coming up with that? Um... I, I think people make too much out of this, the, the halving and, and how it impacts the, the price of Bitcoin mm -hmm. before and after the halving. People don't have any history to draw from, okay? We only had a few cycles here, and this cycle is 10 times different than the previous cycle. Uh, it's like the stock to flow, you know, that, that uh, the guy from Amsterdam who has like hundreds of thousands of people following him. Mm -hmm. He plotted Plan a bunch B. of stocks on a piece of paper, and he came up with a $288,000 price target for this December, and he reiterated it in April a few months ago. $288,000. And part of his thesis was looking at how Bitcoin moved in the previous cycles. That's comparing apples and oranges. You know that what's going on right now is a lot different than what was going on a few years ago when we had the move to 20,000. It's a completely different animal. Sure. So I, I, the, my, my price targets are not 
based on on cycles or or having dates or anything like that. Yes, uh, it, it it will be great when when we have the next having. I think that lowers the annualized inflation rate of Bitcoin from two percent to one percent, and that will put it below the devaluation of nearly every currency in the world. But at two percent, that's already there, right? Right. So. Um, so I, I'm just looking out three to five years, but I do have to take into consideration the having because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like the technicians on, on, on Twitter. If everybody says we're going to peak in a few months and then there's going to be a nasty correction, it's, gonna, it, it's probably going to happen, even though there's no basis to justify something like that happening based on fundamentals. But if everybody... You know, if someone's shouting fire in a movie theater, people are going to rush for the exits. And that's kind of what you're going to see when we hit 80, 100, 120,000 in the next few months. You're going to start getting people trying to make a name for themselves and predicting a 30 or 40 or 50 percent correction. And then they're going to say we're going to run up to 200 three years from now when we have the 2024 halving. But I really don't buy into that. You know, I think that... um you know, when we had that peak back in May and we've had these corrections and things and every time there's a run up in, in, in crypto and everyone Googles it, it hits the trends, everyone wants to pull in and then everyone goes, oh, it's over, it's over. Bitcoin's died 941 times, I think, by now. But so September has been historically a, a crappy month for Bitcoin. October, November and December, I th- want to think that nine out of 11 years have been positive uh, returns for, for Bitcoin. And everyone, the general consensus is, we got through September, October, November, December. We're going to break new all-time highs. Do you think that that's in the cards for Bitcoin this year? Look, my target since early of 2021 for the end of this year, as you know, uh, is 84000 And um, so the price would have to double between now and the end of the year. And I think there's a good chance that we see that happen. We would have to knock out the all-time high from, I think it was May, 64,000. And then we would have to overshoot that by around 30%. I think it's possible. Um, I'm not big on these seasonal patterns that people come up with. Um, I don't really see what the reasoning is behind it. Uh, if you t- talk to me about tax loss selling, uh, that, you know, there is, I understand that, um, that you... But but um, the uh, the seasonality I, I don't I don't really buy into that much. But like what I just said to you earlier, if everybody is saying that Bitcoin is going to go up between now and the end of the year, no one's going to sell. Right. But we'll be going against everyone on Twitter. So like I said, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy if everybody's looking at a moving average or a death cross or a golden cross. Uh, there's a lot of people that that make decisions based on technical analysis. So you really can't fight these people. It, it's funny because you you made your 155 point computer, um, not algorithm, but um, computer program based on things like RSI and values to to give to different uh, technical indicators. But you're really more of a fundamentalist. You don't really rely and you kind of scoff at the guys that look at the the trending and, you know, oh, Bitcoin's oversold. The MACD just made a cross. Um, that doesn't seem you don't feel like Bitcoin, the, the charts really have enough history or why do you not give the Bitcoin trending charts and technical analysis as much weight as, say, like a, a stock chart? 
Well, if you remember, we spoke at the at the beginning of this interview. I told you that there are technical analysis variables in my computer model, but they are contrarian indicators for me. So I buy when everyone is selling and I sell when everyone is buying. I'm not selling my Bitcoin if it starts to run up because this is something I'm not selling. You know, I want this is a buy and hold for me. But as a trader, um, I usually do the opposite of what the other 90% is doing. And that's how I separated myself with my performance over the years. Now, unfortunately, it becomes a little bit more difficult because now everybody calls themselves a contrarian, right? So um, uh, your question, I lost my train of thought. Do you consider uh, yourself more a technical analysis, uh, more into technical analysis or more the fundamental analysis when it comes to valuations? I don't don't overanalyze what's going on with Bitcoin. With stocks, I do a lot of work. With Bitcoin, it it just looks like a slam dunk to me. I know there are no slam dunks in investing, but... When I look at that one quadrillion dollar pie that Bitcoin is going after right now, I see no scenario where they don't cap. I expect them to capture Bitcoin. I expect to capture somewhere between one and two percent of that by the end of the decade. So you'd be looking at um, a Bitcoin price between a half a million and a million dollars. So if Bitcoin goes to a half a million. Do you realize that that value when you convert it back to USDC, are you taking profit along the way or is your exit strategy that at some point when it hits this, that's when I sell or what's the what's a good recommendation for people that are getting into the crypto space in terms of how do they realize that profit? Well, every every person is different. If I am a few dollars away from my retirement goal, goal, I'm going to get out if I have a long way to go between here and what I need for retirement, and I'm not going to get there with my nine to five salary. I'm, I may have to take a chance and roll the dice and hold on to this a little bit longer than I would be comfortable with. But it's just like, you know, you know, someone with $5 million in the bank, if they're 92 years old, they don't need to hold on to Bitcoin. Right. Right. Uh, but if you're, 28, 30 years old, and you're a risk taker, and you understand what the upside and downside is here, I don't think you're going to sell if we hit $100,000 six months from now. Uh, What is important is people do not take a bet that they can't afford to lose. That's what I tell people. Do not take a bet that you can't afford to lose. You should be diversified. That being said, the people that usually make the most money in this business are those who have concentrated portfolios. That's how you separate yourself from the pack. If you have a little bit of money in 200 different stocks, you have no chance to beat the market. But if you're happy just doing what the market is doing, then that might be appropriate for you, right? Yeah, I think Warren Buffett even said, um, the, the, Omer, the Oracle of Omaha that just buy and hold is his strategy. He doesn't look at day trading and all the high risk stuff. He wants to buy something and hang on to it forever. Right. And it appears he may live forever too. So it might be, you think Buffett's ever going to, or Berkshire Hathaway is ever going to acquire Bitcoin, even if it's post the Buffett era, you think at some point they're going to have to have some exposure to it? Well, it's hard to say, but he's, Warren Buffett is the first person to tell you 
that he doesn't understand certain things. Mm -hmm. He sticks with what he knows. That being said, uh, he will have a lot of explaining to do, and he will be on the defensive, or whoever replaces him will be on the defensive. If Bitcoin goes to 100, 200, 300, 400 thousand dollars, and they are on the sidelines, they will make the argument that the people that are in Berkshire Hathaway are not looking for that type of exposure because they tend to be more conservative, right? So I can't really speak to what uh, Berkshire Hathaway will do. Um, but I think until now, Warren Buffett's policy was, I am sticking with what I know, and it's okay if I miss a few names along the way. I think he missed out on a lot of those big tech names like Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Tesla. I don't know how many of those he ended up going into, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, he missed most of them because he didn't understand them. Yeah, I think he was big into Pepsi airline stocks and then the uh, the credit card and bank companies for a long time. But I mean, that's kind of like he's a value guy and he wants yeah. to pick names that are trading at a low multiple to what their earnings are. And that's not tech. Tech, tech trades at ridiculous multiples. He never understood the valuation. And I think he underestimated the fact that a lot of these companies eventually grew into that valuation and then overshot that. And he missed out. And that's okay as far as he's concerned. So Bitcoin store value, $84,000 end of the year. Let's talk about Ethereum for a second because that seems to be the thing that, you know, um, Ark and Catherine is getting on board with. I forget, Catherine Woods, is that her last name? I forget her name. I think it's Catherine Woods. Yeah. Woods, yeah. And, and um, you know, I think that's going to be the next big flagship cryptocurrency that, that um, a lot of the companies and a lot of these um, cyber wealth funds and things start to dive into. What do you think about Ethereum and how do you find yeah, that so, as a value? Yeah, I, I don't know how to value Ethereum. I don't know if it's worth $5,000, $3,000 or $1,000. As far as altcoin goes, I tell people uh, you should have 80% of your money, crypto money in Bitcoin. If you want to diversify a little bit, then you spit out the other 20% across a half a dozen or a dozen names that are in the top 25 or top 50 on coin market cap. There are 12,000 cryptocurrencies right now. 99% of them are risky, overvalued, scams, speculative. I am not smart enough to tell you which, what you know, to pick the flowers out of all the weeds that are in this space right now. Yeah, no, for sure. There's, there's, there's so many of them. And yeah, I think the, the challenge too is, like you said, I mean, so many are just co like because cryptocurrency is the new cool kid on the block. There's so many out there that are just copies of the Ethereum ER ER22 chain, and they're they're creating like a use case that really doesn't make any sense. And that's one of the things that if you are going to look at, or at least when I look at altcoins, it's what's the technology. The big one for me is what's the team behind it, right? Because if Jeff Bezos and and uh, Elon Musk partner up and we go, we're going to create a crypto and here's the use case, which is my third one, it's probably something worth looking at. But if it's um, Uncle Bob and he's in his basement and he hit copy paste and it's going to be the new, uh, we're going to use this as currency in my apartment complex. So everyone should buy this. It does, there's not really a big use case for it. So, 
you know, I wonder how much of, of that money getting pushed around because people see these crazy returns, right? In some of these low market cap cryptos that are, have $10 million in, in market cap that people don't realize that a, a $500,000 trade can triple that price or tank it because of the low li liquidity in these. And they go in and they, they go, oh man, I got wrecked because I didn't do enough research. So do you think that some of that, because it's not regulated right now by the SEC, do you think that that's going to hurt crypto in the short term until there's some regulation? I've been down this road before. I was on Wall Street when the NASDAQ crashed. We had the dot-com bubble. Anyone that added a dot-com at, at the end of their name saw their valuation skyrocket. I would not be going near these altcoins with a 10-foot pole. People are getting greedy. They are going to get burned. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. That's what we say on Wall Street. Your chances of picking a name that will beat Bitcoin over the long run is close to zero. Yes, a lot of these names are high beta. And on a day when Bitcoin goes up, these names will do better than Bitcoin does. I get that. The same thing in the stock market. But most of them are going to collapse and are probably not worth anything. And I, you just have a lot of naive people playing this game right now looking at charts, being fooled and scammed by slick salespeople online who are very good at pushing whatever cryptocurrency they're trying to move. And people are going to really regret that they didn't just keep it simple. I'm telling you, Bitcoin will probably go up 10x by the end of the decade. If you're not happy with that return, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, go go gamble. <laughs> go to Vegas if you want more than a 10x return. Exactly. I, so I, I am a Bitcoin maximalist. And uh, I've written long reports on dozens of altcoins over the years. And many of them have done very well. Some of them have actually done better than Bitcoin. Um, I recommended Binance and Cardano and, and uh, a bunch of other names back in 2017, 2018, that have outperformed uh, Bitcoin. Uh, but if you look at the performance of all of them as a bucket, I don't believe that they came close to matching the performance that Bitcoin had. The last thing I just want to ask you about before I, uh, before I let you go here is, you know, we people talk about diversification and asset allocation and things like that. When you look at a space like cryptocurrency, and let's just speak solely on Bitcoin, something that's been the consistent best asset, best return on investment since 2009, 2010, year after year, it's outperformed everything, right? Is there a case to say that, okay, we don't have that conservative 3% allocated here? How do you say tell somebody, like, they got a, a $10,000, I want to diversify it into stocks, or just put it all into Bitcoin? Because the traditional thinking, right, is you want to have some real estate, some gold, some stocks, a little bonds. Are we still thinking like that? Or is this kind of a unique time that it might be it might be worth it to put a bigger chunk into just that Bitcoin because it's a, a parabolic once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Yeah, I, you know, I... I think people should be all in on this. I don't see any other asset class coming close to matching what Bitcoin will do over the next few years. Uh, but when you put all your eggs in one basket, you need to be um, concerned with a worst case scenario. So, you know, going all in on Bitcoin might be suitable for you or me or someone else, but it might not be suitable for all of the people that are watching this interview. 
uh, as far as diversification goes, everyone should have some money in Bitcoin. As you know, 95% of the portfolio managers on Wall Street do not beat the S&P 500 after fees and um, expenses. Mm -hmm. But if you look at each of those people that underperformed the S&P over the last decade, any of those people who had allocated just 5% to Bitcoin over the last few years would have beat the S&P 500 by hundreds of basis points. And I think a lot of portfolio managers are realizing that right now. If they put a little bit of money into Bitcoin, they will end up outperforming and beating the S&P 500. And we still have a long road ahead, you think, too, right? I'm sorry? There's still a long runway ahead for Bitcoin. It's not past that point of... Let's not think about it we're, anymore. We're at the beginning of this game. I mean, look at look at the top people on Twitter right now, the the Bitcoin people, and how many followers they have on Twitter. It's a few th- few hundred thousand usually, right? Yeah, that number is going to hit a few million in the next few years. You're going to get an explosion in demand at the same time that the supply has already been sucked out of the market by the early adapters who already got in and established their positions that they will not be selling. So it's the beginning of the game. A lot of people look at the chart, they missed the move from 400 to 40,000, like we discussed earlier, and they think the game is over. (laughs) We're in the first quarter of this game. Well, Ronnie, if people want to find out more about Standpoint Research, subscribe to your newsletter, pick your brain about crypto stocks and things of that nature, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, you can send me a direct message on uh, on Twitter or Instagram, uh, at Ronnie Moas on Twitter, and uh, Ronnie underscore Moas on Instagram, uh, or they can go to the standpointresearch.com website and uh, send me a message through there. And, uh, but usually uh, uh, following me on Twitter and sending me a direct message is the best way to reach me. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Ronnie. Hopefully we can have you uh, in studio here at some point since you're theoretically right down the street and we'll have to grab some more coffee. Appreciate you coming through, man. Thanks for the predictions and all the great info. Thank you, Jason. All right, take it easy, man. Okay, bye. Bye.